it might not all be Picassos for the Islanders, but, you know, they're getting wins and they're getting points. Pajot is just such a smart player. Let's be frank, he has looked like a 44-year-old defenseman at times. A lot of this was uh, uh, Charles's vision to get the Islanders and to secure their future on Long Island. Uh, that was back-to-back uh, deep-dish pizzas for me. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast, episode 116. Hi, I'm Andrew Gross of Newsday, and please find me on Twitter at Newsday and find Newsday's Islanders content at newsday.com backslash aisles. And on this episode, we'll discuss the first half of the Islanders' 13-game road trip, some of the concerns, some of the positives, and we'll talk to my friend and an intense Islanders fan, Chris Nietzsche, to get a fan's perspective on the start to the season. And of course, answer some of your questions via Andrew's answers. But first, this road trip was necessitated by UBS Arena at Belmont Park, not opening for Islanders hockey until November 20th, when the Islanders will host the Calgary Flames. So to discuss the progress at the $1.1 billion state-of-the-art facility and to dispel any fears that the arena won't be ready in time for that November 20th Opening, I spent a few minutes chatting with Hank Abate, the president of Arena Operations for New York Arena Partners and a top executive with Arena Developer Oakview Group. Hank, just big picture now. I, I know it's kind of getting down to the deadline. You know how 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 comfortable are you guys with uh, with the progress there, and uh, you know with the doors opening fairly soon. We're, we're, we're very comfortable. You know, uh, Oakview Group um, really opened uh, another arena last week, another new arena in Seattle, uh, and it was spectacular. And, uh, you know, we, we bought a crew there from, uh, from, from uh, UBS to uh, help them to get the uh, building open, and, and they'll send a crew to us to do the same. But one of the big advantages for us in doing that, and, you know, I mean, it was very unusual to open, uh, you know, a, a, another new arena a month before ours, was that we got a, a firsthand look at a lot of the things that, um, you know, that we, I don't want to say that we need to correct, but a lot of things that, you know, that we picked up that we'll look for, you know, for our own opening. But I think that it helped us a great deal in terms of, uh, you know, seeing what we're in for. And, and, and we know it's going to be a lot of hard work, but we're also very confident that we're going to be very successful. You know, what are the current milestones in terms of the uh, construction at UBS and what, what still needs to be done here uh, before November 20th? Well, you know, right now, I think it's more or less putting a lot of the finishing touches on. The, the ice is done. You know, we made our first sheet of black ice, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and um, we actually made a new sheet last week and painted it. Uh, we're going to, uh, you know, get a couple of uh, street teams or school teams to uh, come in and break it in a little bit and, you know, just skate on it. Um, we're, we're, we're going through a process of training all of our employees. So for the next two weeks, our employees will be converting the building over from ice to a concert, to a basketball game, 
back to ice, you know, back to a concert. We're going to go through a number of, of changes in order to, you know, just get our practice in and get it down packed in terms of what has to be done during these quick changeovers. And, and you, you mentioned a climate pledge in, in Seattle, and, and I thought it was a really great sign that that building opened and without issues. But you, you talked about some things you might have learned from out there. I, I was wondering if you could expand on that. As it, I think, I think yeah. the biggest, you know, one of the biggest things we learned is basically, you know, maybe maybe shifting some lines, you know, a little bit away from the doors. Like we're going to do. Uh, we're going to be doing vaccine checks, um, you know, before you get in the building. And, you know, for Climate Pledge, they used uh, CLEAR. I think that was the only form that they used to check vaccines to get into the building. We're going to, we're going to be using um, a company called Bindle, which is very similar to CLEAR, uh, as well as accepting Excelsior uh, passes. So, I think we're in, we're in pretty good shape. I don't think we'll have, you know, any major backups, but, you know, we'll probably move the crowd for checking the vaccines a little more, a little distance more away from the doors. I think we actually have more room to work with uh, on, on our complex, so it's actually pretty good. Um, you know, as far as, as what we've learned on the inside, um, not much. I mean, we tweaked a few things. We're looking at uh, a different way of, uh, you know, possibly bringing some people into the building. Normally, uh, you would use magnetometers. We're going to, uh, we're hopeful that we're going to be able to use uh, a new technology called uh, Patriot, which, which moves people through the doors faster and uh, sees a lot more in terms of metal objects or any potential weapons or things like that. If you had to put percentages on it, you know, on November 20th, how much, you know, I know you're going to be able to open the doors. Are, are, is there going to be some things that are going to come to completion, you know, afterwards? And, and what might those be? Well, you know, there, are, there always are a few things, you know, that will, that will be completed afterwards, but they're, they're not major things. It's nothing that, um, you know, that fans would see. I think all the concession stands will be done. Obviously all the bathrooms, thank God will be in, in done and in working order, you know, but there might be in some of the offices, you might be still putting some cabinets together. Some of the conference rooms might, you know, require a little work areas that the fan doesn't see might be those areas that, that might be touched up or, or, you know, need additional work after the opening. Is, uh, are the Islanders facilities going to be a hundred percent complete? You know, the workout rooms, all that, all that stuff that, that we've yes. seen from the construction. Yeah. yeah. Their locker room will be finished. That look, you know, that's, that's most important to, you know, to us and everybody else. So those facilities will all be done. And then I, I saw the girders were, were placed for the LIRR stop uh today um i was just wondering uh, you know what's what's the progress there and and how how much are you relying in the future on lirr to really move people in and out here yeah i think well first of all i think they were placed over the weekend they actually had to stop traffic on on you know the parkway to do that but um you know, with respect to completion, uh, my understanding from LIRR is 
that you will be able to uh, take a train uh, from Penn Station to uh, the arena. The other side um, won't be finished uh, probably, uh, I want to say, um, you know, till, not till uh, a few months at the least. I mean, Jay, you might know the answer to that. I'm not sure. But, but, um, but you can travel one way. And then, you know, to get back, you would have to go, I think you'd have to go to Jamaica and then take the train from Jamaica back. Uh, when the, uh, the other line comes in from Grand Central, that's going to be uh, sometime uh, late 2022. I think that's going to be, you know, fantastic for people to be able to come in from both sides. How's the, uh, how's the parking going to be for opening night? Is, that, is it going to be at the capacity that you're going to have or, or is it going to be a little tight? Well, we have we have fifty five hundred spaces. I think we have you know more than enough to accommodate all of the fans. When you combine that with folks that'll come in on the train, and don't forget that there's probably going to be folks that that might even they find their own. Especially this being Nassau, I'm sure they'll find their own little spaces somewhere. You know, um, you know, right. where they can get out quickly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I think that. Uh, but I think for I think for the most part we have we have more than enough parking to accommodate everybody, um, you know, in order to uh, successfully have a sellout crowd. How about um, in terms of you know the way you mark the opener at, at UBS? Any you know I'm sure there are special things planned. Anything you can share as to what fans can expect when, when they walk in the doors on November twentieth. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, there, a lot of the things that we had already talked about, I mean, the, the building will be catch, uh, cashless, you know, uh, that would be for parking and uh, getting as well as all of the concessions, uh, you know, all of the uh, uh, restrooms will have touchless fixtures, we'll probably have, uh, you know, sanitizing uh, hand gel throughout, throughout the building, we have MERV 13 filters, to make sure that uh, there, there's a lot of exchanges of air and that the air is, is clean. Those are the things that we'll have in terms of safety and sanitization. In terms of experience, I think one of the things from, from a hockey fan standpoint that's gonna be really exciting, the scoreboard is phenomenal. Uh, you know, it's, one, it's the largest in the market. Uh, it's it, the, 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 the displays are outstanding. But I think uh, I think a lot of the fans will even be blown away by the show that put on on the ice, uh, because the technology is absolutely wonderful. Uh, and I think that you know throughout the whole building, what's really neat and exciting from the time you walk into the lobby, you know you feel like you're walking into that real uh, Grand Central Station kind of lobby. I mean, it's very majestic looking. Uh, really, really, really neat. And then once you get up into the building and you, if you get into any of the club areas uh, or bar areas, we've kind of styled a lot of that after maybe, you know, some of the old New York style, you know, hangouts or restaurants. So it's ha it has a very classic look. Yeah, it's a very contemporary facility. The lower bowl uh, is just under 9,000 seats. It's one of the largest lowest bowls in the, in the, uh, in, in, in the country. Um, you know, I think you'll be, you'll be surprised to know and see that 
just about every seat, no matter where you sit, whether it's the low bowl or the upper two tiers, just about every seat in the building is great for hockey. Uh, fantastic for hockey. So I think the fans will be really excited, you know, when they, when they see all of that, when they first come in. And last one, just, uh, I, I know these last three weeks before November 20th, are probably going to be pretty stressful just to make sure all the, uh, the, the T's are, you know, crossed and the I's are dotted, but what, have you given any thought as to what your emotions are going to be on November 20th when, you know, people are finally in that building? Well, I, I, I can't even describe it. I mean, I've been down this road before. I've opened uh, several buildings in, in the past. One of the, the, the most comparable to this one, though, was uh, when we opened the new building in Pittsburgh uh, when I was working for s and the Penguins. And, 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 and it's really, um, you know, a combination of, you know, emotional and exciting. And, um, you know, at the, 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 end of the, the end of the night when, uh, when, when it, as everyone is leaving and, and, you know, you have that feeling of, um, you know, of, of all of the work that was being put in over the last few years, you know, finally coming down to this. I could actually feel it for my colleagues, you know, in Seattle, you know, when, uh, when they, what they experienced last week. I mean, it really is, it's a lot of fun and it is very emotional. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I, I will say Pittsburgh's one of my favorite stops in the league. That's, that's a fantastic building. Yeah. So Hank, listen, I, I, I appreciate your time with this and uh, good luck. Uh, Any, anytime. I, and I, and I appreciate your uh, interviewing me. Thank you very much. Thanks to uh, Hank Abate for uh, giving us that insight into UBS Arena at Belmont Park. I'm sure everyone is excited uh, for for that first game to come and and to see, you know, as we've discussed almost ad infinitum, this is getting into that building, you know, even though it's the start of a new journey for the Islanders at their new home, it's the end of a, a long journey for this franchise, one that goes back you know, mid-90s at least. And, uh, you know, it, it goes without saying uh, that when uh, that the doors open at UBS Arena, uh, Charles Wong is going to, uh, or the memory of the late Islanders owner, that, that's going to be a huge part of the story because a lot of this was uh, uh, Charles's vision to get the Islanders and to secure their future on Long Island. So again, thanks to Hank Abate for that. And, uh, well, look, I'm home for a few days at least as the Islanders return to New York following Sunday's 2-0 win at Vegas. And that followed Saturday's 3-0 win at Arizona. The Islanders stand at 3-2-1 after their first six games. And, Barry Trotz gave the Islanders three straight days off after they took their own chartered red-eye back from Las Vegas following Sunday's game. Uh, The Islanders, uh, no practice scheduled on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. They still can get in two days of practice before their trip resumes Saturday at Nashville. And remarkably, that, that, that game against the Predators stands as the Islanders' lone game in 10 days. So, yeah bit of a, a wacky schedule, and uh, I thought it was funny. Uh, Cal Clutterbuck was being asked about the schedule and uh, just the weirdness of going on the road for 13 games to uh, start the season, and Cal 
basically said that, you know, between the playoff bubbles and and the pandemic and uh, a couple of long playoff runs and just how uh, the the health and safety protocols basically kept uh, the players separated and sequestered in their own hotel rooms last season. And, uh, you know, Cal said that the, the team has basically uh, been used to the weirdness, so they've gotten a lot of practice at it. And, you know, talking to some of the players uh, on the road, uh, one thing that stands clear is just how much more relaxed and happy they are on the road. The, the protocols have been relaxed a little bit. The players are, are free to move around the hotel. Uh, they're, they're free to congregate together and, and, and go out for a meal. Uh, it, it's no longer just come down from your room, have the team buffet uh, at the hotel and then go back to your room. There, There's a little more, or a lot more, I should say, sense of normalcy on the room. And again, you know, just uh, bumping into some of the players. And, and again, you know, it's nice for me on the road because uh, um, while, while all the Islander interviews are still on Zoom, uh, being in the arena on the road means I can be in the interview room and, and, and interview these these players and Barry Trotz face to face, you know, six feet away, not, you know, face to face to face, but, you know, uh, socially distanced away. But still, there, there's a difference in interviewing when you're in person you, uh, via Zoom. You, you can react. The people you're interviewing are more comfortable with you. And then just, you know, sort of bumping into the, uh, the players uh, on, in the hallways uh, and out and about, uh, you know, you're a person again to them instead of just a kind of a disembodied voice that they're listening to over Zoom. They're answering your questions and getting out. And I'm not pretending that the players are, you know, uh, are suddenly my best friends. Uh, that that's no longer the case in the in the way the media and and, and NHL players interact. But. Uh, there, there is more. I, I can sense it already. There's, there's just more of a, a relaxed relationship there uh, between media and players. Just being in the Zoom room, even though all those interviews are posted online and everyone has access to it, uh, I, I still find great value in, in being there in in person uh, to to chat with them. Um, so again, you know, uh, uh, one game in 10 days, um, it, it was 12 nights in, in hotels for me, uh, in Raleigh, Sunrise, Florida, Chicago. And, and by the way, Chicago, look, I, I, I'm not necessarily proud of this and, and my doctor certainly doesn't need to hear this, but, uh, that was back to back, uh, deep dish pizzas for me, uh, <laughs> for dinner two nights in a row. And in a very random moment, I got into a conversation with this guy sitting at a bar next to me while eating a deep dish pizza number one, uh, while watching a football game and, and, and just random. Uh, this guy sitting next to me at the bar turned out to be a former Newsday employee um, from the uh, the early 2000s who was uh, at a convention in Chicago. Uh, he worked in engineering and design. So, Steve, if you're listening, big shout out. Uh, enjoyed meeting you. Enjoyed chatting New York Jets and uh, old times at Newsday. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. But uh, after Chicago, went on to Columbus and then Glendale, Arizona and Vegas. And I uh, can't tell you how disappointing it is 
to only get 24 hours in Vegas. That was a quick in and out. Um, but I did learn how to use the Las Vegas monorail to get up and down the strip. My hotel was way at the other end of the strip. And if you haven't been to Vegas, it's, it's, the strip is a good four miles long. So, you know, you, you can book a hotel on the Strip and not be anywhere near T-Mobile Arena. But the, the, the monorail uh, gets you around pretty fast. And, and not to be an ad for the Las Vegas monorail, but uh, I, I enjoyed that. Um, it was a bit of a tough trip home as uh, everyone who's been on Long Island the past couple of days knows. There was a nor- nor'easter in the area. And I, I hope everyone is safe and, uh, you know, power on and uh, not flooded out. And... Uh, Look, as I, as I mentioned, the last two games of that six-game segment for the Islanders certainly left the team feeling pretty good going into this uh, mini-break or three-day break. Uh, they get back-to-back shutouts. Uh, it's a, it's a four-game point streak, uh, 3-0-1. And, and uh, you know, the Islanders are all about banking points early in the season. And, and this season is sort of like every season uh, under Barry Trotz. We're a little bit of a slow start where you you really start to worry about this team. And then at at a certain point, you look down and you go, wow, you know, they've gotten point after point after point. And it it might not all be Picassos for the Islanders, but, you know, they're getting wins and they're getting points. Now, you know, the three teams they've they've beaten, uh, let's be honest, Vegas, uh, had had w- only one win after the Islanders played them. Uh, I think they were 1-4-0 uh, after the loss to the Islanders. And uh, both Arizona and Chicago were, were winless. Um, so it's not like the Islanders are, are beating Stanley Cup champions here. But, you know, every point counts. So you got to beat those teams. And uh, uh the the losses they had those uh, opening losses to uh, the Hurricanes and the Panthers. Well, I, I think both teams got off to six and zero starts. Um, so, you know, there, there's a reason the Islanders may have looked a half step to a full step slow in, in both of those games. It's because those two teams are amongst the uh, the elite in the NHL in the early going this season. And, uh, you know, we'll see how it shakes out the next time the Islanders get a chance. Because, uh, you know, if this season is anything like past seasons under Barry Trotz, this team is, is slowly going to get better. Uh, you've heard this over and over again. It's a team built for the playoffs, uh, which means they kind of, you know, slog through the regular season. Uh, they, they can't have that that struggle that they've had uh, January, February, March, uh, because in an 82-game season, unlike uh, the 56-game season or when they played 68, uh, you know, they were kind of lucky to, uh, to to squeeze into the postseason uh, with those bad finishes. The Islanders need to be much more consistent over the 82 games. But uh, it, it seems like uh, slowly they're building to that point. Um, the team certainly, like I said, is feeling pretty good, uh, as they headed into that mini break because of the back-to-back shutouts. And certainly, uh, goalie Ilya Sorokin, uh, was a huge part of that. He was named the NHL's third star of the week, uh, as he backstopped the Islanders to that four-game point streak. He went 3-0-1 with a 0.99 goals against average and a 
1.971 save percentage, and he became the first goalie in Islanders team history to record road shutouts on consecutive days, uh, back-to-back games Saturday at Arizona, Sunday at Vegas, uh, and he is the first goalie in the NHL to do so since uh, the Jets' Andrej Pavlik uh, on April 6th and 7th, 2015. Um, Barry Trotz mentioned it was the first time, uh, or Sorokin mentioned to Barry, uh, it was the first time he had started back-to-back games. I'm not just talking in about in the NHL. It was the first time he had started back-to-back games like that. It, it seems... Certainly that he'll soon be sharing the net more, uh, again, as Semyon Varlamov is ready to come off injured reserve, and presumably that will happen before Saturday's game at Nashville. Goalie Corey Schneider was placed on waivers on Monday. He cleared on Tuesday and now can be reassigned to AHL Bridgeport to clear a roster spot for Varlamov. And I don't think the Islanders and Lou Lamarillo would have put Schneider on waivers uh, until they were sure that Varlamov uh, was ready to be activated. So we're expecting that news probably later in this week. I, I would think uh, maybe Friday or even going into Saturday before the game, before they make that move. That would have to do with uh, conserving salary cap space because Varlamov, you know, again, not to be a capologist, but uh, every day, uh, there's a cap charge, um, and and it all accrues, and it all, uh, you know, comes together closer to the trade deadline, how much space you have. Varlamov in at $5 million per season on the cap hit, while Corey Schneider is in at 750000 It's cheaper for the Islanders to keep uh, Corey on the roster as long as possible and wait for as long as possible to activate Varlamov. So I wouldn't be surprised if that transaction was waited until right before game time on Saturday. But uh, Ilya Sorokin's play was certainly, certainly the highlight of the first six games, and that's discounting the 6-3 loss at Carolina uh, that opened the season, the 5-1 loss at Florida that followed. Sorokin just got better and better uh, tracking the puck through traffic. He was controlling rebounds. Uh, well, and, and he really used his athleticism to make a few 10-bell saves, uh, a split uh, in the last game at Vegas uh, to get a pad on a puck really stands out. Um, so if Varlamov can remain healthy, uh, the, the goalies really should push each other while Barry Trotz has the confidence of trusting either one and, and looking way too far ahead. But I'd say it, it's... It's not a lock that Varlamov would be the Islanders' playoff goalie if they qualify, um, as has been mostly the case the past two seasons. Um, Trotz does like riding the hot hand, but that could be uh, just as well be Sorokin as it could be Varlamov. But again, like I said, that is looking way too far ahead, as I, I sound like Mr. Ed there. I don't know why I did that, but, you know, have fun with that. Um, there are some concerns with the Islanders here, and uh, we'll start with Zdeno Chara. Let, let's be frank, he has looked like a 44-year-old defenseman at times, and uh, we'll discuss way more of that in Andrew's answers. 
um, Trotz had to get away from his typical second-line uh, trio. He swapped Josh Bailey to Matthew Barzell's line, and then, of course, Bailey started scoring with a goal and two assists in the Islanders' last two games that put Kyle Palmieri on Brock Nelson's right wing, along with Anthony Beauvillier, but really... Trotz had his blender on the uh, on the bench. He used multiple line combinations over the past two games. Uh, he also rearranged his defense pairs and rearranged and kept rearranging. And uh, it, it really could be from shift to shift. Um, but the, the the framework amongst the defensive pairs was reuniting Andy Green with Noah Dobson rather than having Zdeno Char with Noah Dobson, um, as that pairing certainly had its issues. Um, that, that moved Zdeno Char with Ryan Pulak, uh, and that broke up the Adam Pellick-Ryan Pulak pairing, uh, the top pair in favor of a Scott Pellick, uh, Scott Pellick, Adam Pellick-Scott Mayfield pairing, uh, apologies to both. Um, th- there was just a ton of mixing and matching shift to shift. And Barry Trotz talked and, and, and acknowledged that part of that is just being on the road where he's not getting the last change. Uh, so he, he was, you know, doing things kind of by the seat of his pants uh, at times. And, and when I say him, you know, that's obviously the whole coaching staff is 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 working out the uh, the pairs and uh, and calling out the the, the lines and, and the D pairs. But uh, uh Trotz really does like settling into combinations that he can, you know, can kind of keep. And and that's different to certainly some other coaches I, I've covered who seem to live to put their combinations through the blender. Barry likes to figure out what works best and then to give those combinations all the time in the world to really develop together. Um, and, and that's why, you know, you, you always see Anders Lee with, with Matthew Barzell, whether it's Jordan Eberle or Kyle Palmieri or Josh Bailey, uh, and maybe one day Oliver Wallstrom up there. And that's why Barry keeps going back to Nelson between Beauvillier and, and, and Bailey, and now it's Palmieri. But really, I, I, I would think at a certain point, you'll see Nelson with Bailey and, and, and Beauvillier again. And that's why that fourth line, Casey Sezikis, as just, you know, predating Barry Trotz, has really been with Matt Martin and, uh, and Cal Clutterbuck. I am, of course, yada, yada, yadaing over Matt Martin's couple of seasons in Toronto. But you, you get the gist there. And then one line I, I thought that's gained more and more traction is Jean-Gabriel Pajot's third line with Oliver Wallstrom, who certainly has shown in stretches he can be a real difference maker for this team. You know, everyone wants to get him onto Matthew Barzell's top line, but perhaps really the the, the best combination for him and the best use of his, his talents there is to work with Jean-Gabriel Pajot. Uh, Pajot is just such a smart player. Uh, you know, there there's some players you watch and, and, and pretty much every time they're on the ice, you're just impressed with something they do. You know, some subtle play or positioning or, you know, a body check or just getting to the right spot or spotting someone in the right spot. And J.G. Pajot is just one of those guys. More and more, what an incredible pickup uh, Lou Lamarillo makes and, and then to sign Pajot there, you know, really anchoring that, that line. 
Um, and, and also on the penalty kill. And you, you saw on the penalty kill uh, in Columbus when Peugeot sat out with a, a stomach illness. Uh, Casey Sezikis takes a couple penalties and you, you're missing Peugeot. And all of a sudden that penalty kill is a lot more scrambly w- without them. So uh, a real good anchor there. And, and I think he's doing wonders for Oliver Wallstrom's game as well. And you know what? Zach Parisi has played with, with the energy uh, that you expect of Zach, that you've seen from Zach, uh, starting with his time with the Devils. I, I know Zach is 37. He's not exactly the player he used to be, but he's he's filled in nicely as, as more of a role player while still getting power play time uh, as compared to being counted on as a top six forward, uh, as he was with the Minnesota Wild before the Wild decided to buy out. Uh, the final four seasons of his 13-year, $98 million deal. Uh, Parisi even slid over to center. Uh, it, I don't think he had ever uh, really had that kind of assignment, but he was in the middle when Pajot uh, missed that 3-2 overtime loss in Columbus because he had that same stomach illness that had sidelined Anders Lee the previous game. And boy, to, to hear those guys talk about how sick they were. Uh, it, it's a good thing that it really didn't rip through the Islanders' room. And I think getting three days off here uh, is really going to nip that for good, uh, at least knocking on wood for these guys. I, I would think it would, uh, or at least in terms of players having to miss time because they don't play again until Saturday. But it was good for these players to sort of, you know, uh, step back and, and kind of contain that illness because it just sounded miserable. Um, fourth line also has gotten steadily better. Uh, they're playing up ice more. Uh, they're, they're, they're establishing their forecheck more. Cal Clutterbuck has had chances. Uh, he's, he seems, you know, dangerous uh, getting into the offensive zone. That, that's a good sign for the Islanders. And, you know, it, it, it took the, the line a couple of games. Uh, Matt Martin missed the first two games as he uh, finished his rehab from off-season ankle surgery. And then, you know, a game or two to really get back to uh, what you expect from that identity line, which had been missing, quite honestly, for a few days, uh, for a few games. Um, Matthew Barzell, look, he's always played with confidence, right? But he's, every time he's he's got the puck on his stick, he just, each season, he seems to get more and more confident. And he, he also seems to show more and more of a shooter's touch um, each season. And, and, and you can remember when Barry Trotz would talk almost endlessly about the need for for Matthew Barzell to start looking for a shot more. And uh, that that goal Matthew Barzell scored in Vegas, he he cuts in from the right. uh, Josh Bailey starts that play. um, And and then Barzell just flicks it up and over uh, old friend Robin Leonard's left shoulder. So he, he beats uh, Leonard's short side high, uh, just under the crossbar. That that was a highlight real goal, really was. Um, and, and it was a it was a really good sign that, that Matthew Barzell's kind of looking for that. Um, look, sure there there's some issues, uh, namely pace of play. At, at times the Islanders 
have, have looked like a slow team. And there's no doubt with defensemen Devontae's and Nick Liddy traded away in successive seasons for cap reasons, the Islanders have lost two quality puck movers and elite skaters. Certainly Nick Letty, uh, an elite skater. But, but speed is more than skate speed. It's about connecting the dots on passing and getting to the right positions. And, and at times this season, the Islanders just haven't gotten there correctly. And as a result, they've looked slow. They certainly look slow against the Hurricanes and the Panthers, who are going to make a lot of teams look slow. But, you know, there were struggles in that 4-1 win at Chicago. Chicago is just not a good team. Um, there, there were struggles certainly in Columbus and even, you know, stretches in, in, in Vegas and Arizona where, where the Islanders did not seem to be playing quickly enough. Um, and, and Sorokin kept them in the game. So uh, again, it's only six games into the season. So you certainly expect, uh, this to shake out. And uh, again, a four game point streak, uh, would seem to suggest that the, uh, the shaking out is underway at least, but uh, you know, still a, a, a tough schedule coming up. Nashville, uh, never, never an easy game in Nashville. Uh, that'll be an afternoon game out there. Uh, I know the Predators didn't, haven't gotten off to a great start under Coach John Hines, but uh, always a tough game there. And then uh, Montreal, uh, that'll be a Thursday game, and Montreal certainly struggling. With uh, you know Shea Weber out for the season and uh, Carrie Price and, and Shea Weber unfortunately potentially out for his career, Carrie Price uh, taking care of some personal issues so he's not with the team. Uh, a lot of injuries with Montreal. They're off to a slow start and then you get a back to back again uh, in Winnipeg and Minnesota and that should be a fun game for Zach Parisi to get back to. But again, uh, that that's that's looking in the future. Um, again, I, I I would suggest that some of the Islanders' issues they're they're starting to shake it out. But but to talk about some of those issues, I, I really wanted to get more of a fan's perspective. You know, we're, we're always talking to other media members or trying to get uh, players or, or, or that not. But uh, for a fan's perspective, I, I called upon Chris Nietzsche. Uh, he grew up in New Hyde Park. And as you'll hear, growing up, had a mid-game epiphany at Nassau Coliseum and converted from a Rangers to an Islanders fan. And, and Chris is also the host of one of my favorite uh, music podcasts. That's the Metal Exchange. I think you've heard me talk about it. I can't recommend uh, Chris and Justin's uh, podcast enough. I, I really look forward uh, to Mondays when they drop new episodes. So uh, I, I enjoyed catching up with Chris. I mean, uh, him and Justin were good enough to have me on as a guest over the summer. Thought I would return the favor. So here's Chris Nietzsche uh, with the fans' perspective on what he's seen from the Islanders' first six games. And I'm joined right now by uh, Chris Nietzsche, Super Islander fan, originally from New Hyde Park. Uh, you can't see it on a podcast. He's wearing his Islanders t-shirt. And I've uh, gotten to know Chris uh, through my covering of the team. And uh, like I said, a, a true longstanding fan. So Chris, welcome to Island Ice. And let me just ask you, how you feeling, buddy, six games into this season? Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Andrew. It's a real pleasure. And uh, I feel a lot better after 
the the last two games for sure. Um, I mean, Sorokin was lights out, and I think he definitely is putting some pressure on Varlamov, who you know appears to be coming back from from his injury. But um, I, I think it's it's right now it's pretty much par for the course. Um, I, I think that uh, you know the the forwards are pretty much doing what we would expect the forwards to do. I think the defense is a little bit more worrisome just because I think they're still kind of, uh, I guess like they're still trying to get a feel for the, the system, especially like Chara being new. I think people are being a little too quick to, to want to jettison Chara so quickly. But I think that being that it's, it's only six games in, I just, you know, give the guy a, a chance. He's a, you know, former all-star future hall of famer. Um, but, you know, just like everybody else, it, it, we're, we're back to an 82-game season for the first time in three years. And having, you know, two older defensemen, I can understand there's a little bit of uh, worry about, you know, are, are they going to be able to, to hang for the whole full season and then, you know, hopefully playoffs as well. Yeah, the, the one thing, I mean, being at the games, the one thing I kind of saw with my eyes, and I don't know how it translated on TV, is especially the first couple of games against Carolina and Florida, the, the Islanders really didn't play fast. They, they looked slow. And I think when people, you know, kind of get on Chara, who was never a speedster anyway, it, it's kind of about you know, the turnovers in the defensive zone and also the speed. So, you know, I, I was just wondering from a, a TV point of view, you know, how did you think of their pace of play? I mean, I wasn't thrilled with it at the beginning. I think <laughs> they definitely, I think they started to show uh, more of who they were um, in the last couple of games. Um, but I feel like they, like the, the Trots era Islanders are notoriously slow starters anyway. I don't really remember them coming real fiery out the gate. Um, not, not in a while. I don't think the last season I could think of was uh, Barzell's rookie year when he was playing second-line center uh, behind Tavares when they, they came out to that scorching start and then they just kind of faltered the whole rest of the way. But that's the last time I remember them coming out like real strong at the beginning and and, I mean as a Barry Trotz team I feel like this is definitely going to be you know more of a a marathon than a sprint so I mean maybe better off not coming out all guns a blazing and then have that kind of mid-season lull Um, you know I think we all said if we can go 500 on this opening road trip and then get to UBS and start kind of fresh from there we should be in good shape so I mean they're basically in that spot so far. Um, I, I, I've always wanted to see that sniping forward, and I know a lot of people like really were hoping that Tarasenko would find his way onto the team, but um, I feel like uh, Wallstrom could be that guy for them going forward, um, and with some of these line jugglings that they've done, kind of seeing how people are uh, in different spots and moving people around. I think if we get to see Wallstrom get a chance to play with, with Barzell, I have a feeling there's, there's some magic that could happen there. So um, I don't know what that means for the third line, which I think has been playing rather well with, with Pajot in the middle, but um, I, I don't know. I also feel that 
Lou will make a change if he needs to. If he finds that Chara's not getting the job done or Green's not getting the job done, you know, I don't see any reason why Ajo won't crack his way into the lineup. Or, and I don't see any reason why, you know, a, a move might not be made and somebody else could be brought in. So I don't think that we should necessarily feel like this is the definitive lineup until the end of the season. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you completely there. I, I think around the trade deadline, they bring in some defense depth and, you know, for the playoff run. And two quick hitters. Uh, one, what made you an Islander fan? Oh, I, I, it's, it's funny. Um, growing up on Long Island and, and going to, to grade school with um, just big sports fans, um, everybody was either an Islanders or a Rangers fan in, in 1992, 1993, around that time. And I'd say the fan base, at least where I was growing up, was pretty split split pretty evenly back then because the Islanders hadn't gone into their you know mid to late 90s you know, nosedive, and the Rangers were, were just coming up uh, on their Stanley Cup win. So there was, the rivalry was a lot of fun, and, and I kind of started out as a Rangers fan, believe it or not, and I went to um, one of my very first games was at the Coliseum, and I saw the Islanders play the Rangers, and the Islanders uh, just just handily beat the Rangers, and the fans were so into it, and being part of that at the Coliseum – I literally, in my seat, switched allegiances. <laughs> and I've been an Islanders fan ever since, but that crowd just, like, it was almost like they, they uh, adopted me right in that moment. And um, the first my first memories of really being a big fan was listening to the 1993 playoff run on the radio because we weren't paying for sports <laughs> channel in our house at the time. So uh, uh, just listening to those games against Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh and Montreal, I uh, really have... Those are really my fondest, uh, earliest fond memories of being a fan. But uh, yeah, ever since then, I was just a, a diehard for life. Uh, that, that, that's funny, you know, switching mid-game. And then last one real quick, who's your favorite Islander of all time? Oh, that's such a hard question. Um, I've always uh, gravitated towards number 11 because my first favorite player was Darius Gasparitis yeah. <laughs> when I first became uh, a fan of the team. So... Uh, I feel like that would probably be um, probably be a safe choice, but I also really love Rick DiPietro, and I really wanted I wanted so much more for him. I'm sure just the same as he did uh, for himself. To just, I think he had that potential to just be like a, a perennial all star goalie, and, and the injuries just you know, hampered him. So um, those are just two off off the top of my head, and. Uh, I, I, funnily enough, I own a, a Matthias Weinhandel jersey just because I love that he wore number 11. Um, and I just thought he was such a, like, I don't know, I, I would gravitate towards like the weirdest players, but uh, it's cool seeing Zach Parisi wear number 11. It's, I feel like it's uh first like really prominent player on the Islanders to wear number 11 in a while. So uh, yeah, that, that's, I also loved Marty McGinnis too when I was a kid. He was another one I was a big fan of, but, uh, you know, I was a little too young to really appreciate the glory days in the 80s. And by the time I started watching, it was, you know, Turgeon and Ferraro and Steve Thomas and those guys. All right. Well, Chris, and remember, folks, please tune into uh, Chris's fine podcast with uh, his partner, Justin, Metal Exchange, if you're into, uh, 
prog or uh, power metal or any kind of metal, it, it's the show to listen to. And Chris, listen, buddy, thanks uh, for hopping on and uh, sharing some uh, memories and thoughts of the Islanders. And be well, my friend. Well, I appreciate you having me. Thanks a lot, Andrew. So thanks again to Chris for that Islanders analysis. And thanks again to uh, everyone who submitted questions for Andrew's Answers. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. And we'll get right into it with these Dano Chara questions. That seems to be the topic. Uh, so I'll just read some of these questions. Scott asks, were you surprised that Chara played in both games for the recent back-to-backs? At times he has looked slow and lost out there. Is it time for the Islanders to give Sebastian Ajo a legitimate shot? Isles Rule says, I'm very concerned that the Islanders, uh, being the oldest team in the NHL, are too slow to compete with the young, fast teams. Z is hurting the team, and I do not see them going far in the playoffs. Plus, losing Jordan Eberle and Nick Letty were two very big pieces to lose. Um, let's see. Uh, semicolon smiley face uh, at Ima Jonesing says, What is up with Z? He has fallen on his derriere more times this year than in the past 10. I love the guy, had high hopes, but it looks like we got the rookie Z and not the former all-star vet. Isles fan 777 says, uh, will Trot sit Chara if needed? And Ethan Shooter, Shutter um, says, is Robin Sallow ever going to get a call up to play instead of Chara? Um, let me, since I'm scrolling down, I'll start at the bottom. And as far as Robin Sallow, yeah, he's gotten off to a good start uh, with Bridgeport. Um, again, the Islanders uh, are following court, sort of an organizational pattern here where they allow their defensemen to really develop with uh, Bridgeport or to get them some seasoning there. Um, Robin Sallow is in his first season in North America. Uh, I, I would think the, the Islanders would like to get Sallow, you know, at least into December in the AHL, uh, before considering bringing him up. Now, something may be necessitated before that, and Sallow's play may push the issue if he continues playing really well. But in a perfect world, I, I think the Islanders would like to go with the, the six and then Sebastian Ajo being the seventh defenseman and go with that and really give uh, Robin Sallow a little time to marinate in the AHL. We'll see if that happens. Uh, we'll trot sit Chara if needed. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure he will. Now, Barry Trotz has staunchly defended uh, Dano Char to this point, even after a minus four in Florida. Uh, Barry was explaining, you know, yes, that Dano Char was on the ice, but, you know, a lot of those goals were uh, F3 and, and, and forward issues defensively, and Dano was, you know, trying his best to make up for forward mistakes there. But, uh, you know, it is a minus four. And then, as I wrote today, uh, his Corsi four is the worst amongst uh, Islanders defensemen. Now, the Islanders, analytically, they've never been any analytical darling. And, the, and their Corsi 4, I believe, stands at around 43%. And, and really, you know, 50% 
or more is what you're striving for. So the Islanders were 31st in a 32-team league with their Corsi 4, but uh, you know their their Corsi was around 43%. Chara is around 38, 37%. So uh, you know the analytics say that that Chara has not gotten off to a good start either. But uh, Barry Trotz has talked about wanting to get Sebastian Aho in there. And uh, Aho is a lefty, just like Chara is. Um, and uh, at a certain point, I, I expect Barry Trotz to make good on that uh, kind of implied promise to get S- Sebastian Aho sometime. Uh, you know, last season we heard it a lot. Sebastian Aho was on the taxi squad, never got in. Uh, I don't believe. Um, and, and now, as far as you know, Zdeno Chara, as, uh, as I'm a Jonesing pointed out, falling on his derriere more times this year than in the past 10. I, I'll be honest, I, I've noticed that too. There was one particular play, uh, I'm sorry, I forget which game, they sort of blend into each other, but Zdeno uh, skated over to the left wall to, to lay a body check. And, you know, when I say a, a player smaller than him, well, everyone is smaller than the 6'9", 250-pound Zdeno Chara. But Zdeno went in, tried to lay the check, and he was the one falling down. Uh, the other player just kind of stiffened there and, uh, you know, kind of rode with the blow and, and stood up to Chara, and Chara was the one who, who fell to the ice. And to me, uh, you know, I, two of Zdeno's issues, uh, and again to the this amateur hockey expert watching from the press box, is his legs are not as strong as they used to be. And, and I think maybe a lot of that comes with being 44. But his skating is not smooth. It doesn't seem like he gets going uh, quickly enough um, at times. And again, he, he was never a speedster. But there, there are times where he just doesn't seem to be able to get any momentum going forward. And then when, when he does get knocked down on these plays where in the past, you know, he was the one knocking people down that that's what worries me the most um in in terms of feeling like that leg strength just isn't there anymore and then i think it's also manifested itself in in him sometimes struggling with his passes to try and get the puck out of the zone um so yeah um i I, i've seen that too that chara seems like he's going down uh easier and more frequently than certainly in years past. Um, uh, as far as the Islanders being the oldest team in the NHL, yeah, you know, you you bring in Zdeno Char at 44 and Zach Parisi at 37. That's going to happen. You got Andy Green in the lineup at 38. Uh, fourth line all on the uh, plus side of 30. Uh, Josh Bailey there too. Uh, so, yeah, this is a veteran older team. Um, again, you know, they're, they're never going to win, uh, a team race against some of the faster teams. And you mentioned, uh, uh, the, the, the Panthers and Hurricanes for sure as, as faster teams. But again, it, it's more about being able to connect the dots and, and pass. And, and look, you still got Matthew Barzell skating for you. You still got Jean-Gabriel Pajot skating for you. You still got Noah Dobson skating for you. Uh, there, there are quality skaters on this team. Uh, it, it's just that they're, they're going to have to build their team speed 
not on blinding speed. They're going to have to, you know, improve their passing and their breakouts and their zone entries uh, to to kind of keep up in the NHL. Uh, and again, they got a long way to go, and I, I don't doubt they get there. Uh, you know, as far as not seeing them go far in the playoffs, I, I don't, you know, I think that's the fans' fear every time, <laughs> you know, all the time, especially early in the season. Um, I, I think we've got several months before we really start pushing the panic button there, if indeed that panic button is ever pushed. Um, and was I surprised that Char played in both games? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I, I thought... You know, the way Barry was talking, he was thinking of getting Sebastian Ajo in there. I, I think the tipping point was the fact that they were coming off a shutout, and Barry doesn't like really changing up his lineup, uh, especially off, off a shutout like that. And also, uh, Barry knew that the Islanders were coming back to these three days off and not playing again, you know, Sunday to Saturday. So, uh, you know... If if that was, you know, that back-to-back was leading into, you know, three and four, it was the back end of three and four nights. But if it, it was the front end of three and four nights, I, I think we would have seen a different lineup in Vegas. Um, let's see. Uh, Mr. Belding says, what's the plan for Noah Dobson? And uh, I, I think the plan is to play him. Uh, you know, he, he certainly... Uh, he he's looked good at times and 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 he's struggled. Uh, I think uh, the last game, uh, Vegas, not one of Noah's better games. But you know he's a he's a very honest guy. Uh, you know you want to call him a kid because he is a, a still a kid, just third year in the pros. But as far as the plan, it's not like his his rookie season where they they were going to spell him in and, and and take him out of the lineup and 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 rest him and. Uh, not rest him, but, you know, give him time to pause and, and see what was going on and, and sort of break him in slowly into the NHL. That that time is well past. He is an established top six skater uh, among the defensemen for the Islanders. So as far as the plan, uh, they're going to have him on the power play. Uh, they're going to have him quarterback a unit, and they're going to play him in the top six. And, and Barry is hoping that... Uh, you know, whatever whatever chemistry that Andy Green and Noah Dobson had last season, uh, you know, sort of builds itself back up right now. Um, Andre uh, Minasayan says, with Robin Sallow off to a great start at Bridgeport, do you expect to see him up at some point this season? Also, what do you think the problem is with Bellows, and what is the end game there? Um, and you, you heard me talk about Sallow. Uh, yeah, I... I, I I think if he continues playing like this, you know, maybe you're looking at December, uh, January. That 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 was around the time that they got Devontae's up here. Uh, that was with Thomas Hickey, uh, you know, getting a, a concussion uh, the year Devontae's uh, came up to the Islanders. But I think Robin Sallow is definitely an option a, a little further uh, down the line in the schedule. Uh, as far as you know, the quote unquote problem with Bellows. We all know he can score. When, when I've seen him play, he just doesn't impact the game enough or, or, or move the needle enough. He does what he does, but he's not really contributing to the team game enough. Um, you know, yeah, he can 
he can get off a good shot, but he's not necessarily creating the shots for himself, and he's not necessarily creating the shots for his teammates. Um, and, and until he can do that, uh, he's he's not going to be a regular in this lineup. He, he just isn't. As far as what the end game is, uh, you, you want to build him up to that point, and he's still he's still young. He still has time to get there. Um, and I think practicing with this team and, and traveling with the team is, is going to do wonders for him. But uh, that, that's got to be there in his game, uh, you know, where he allows his offensive potential uh, to be used in a positive way and not just in isolated stretches here and there without contributing to the rest of the game. Uh, Thomas Boyle says... Uh, now that Semyon Varlamov is back in the mix, do you see Barry going with the hot hand or alternating between the two? And yeah, Barry is not opposed to going with the hot hand. Um, I, I sort of expect a little bit of alternation uh, when when Semyon Varlamov comes back. And that, that's just because they're going to want to get Semyon some games to get him into the rhythm. But you also can't lose... Ilya Sorokin, the way he's playing. So right when uh, Varley does come back, I would expect some kind of alternating between them. And then uh, eventually Barry's going, if he sees a hot hand, he'll, he'll ride it for a while. Um, let's see, uh, some Ross Johnson questions. And the news on Tuesday was that Ross Johnson uh, agreed to a four-year extension. He's got a, He's playing in the last season of a four-year deal. Uh, and that was uh, four four times one million per season on the cap charge. He gets a little bit of a salary bump now. He's on a four year four point four million dollar deal, so still pretty cheap against the cap. Um, let's see, Coach Jeff twenty four says I saw the Islanders extended Ross Johnson for four years, even. When Martin was out, Ross played minimal minutes. Uh, it's true, he was only in the first game, and he, he logged about 5 minutes, 50 seconds, if I'm recalling correctly. Uh, a lot of that was because there was a lot of special teams play in that game, and, and Ross just doesn't play on the power play or on the penalty kill. Still, his time on ice, uh, or lack thereof, was very noticeable. And uh, G- Coach Jeff24 says, uh, even when Martin was out, Ross played minimal minutes, which is counterproductive to Barry's goal of rolling four lines. Found this to be a little odd, surprising, and appreciate your thoughts. Gary says, uh, uh, what do you make of the Johnson signing? I am a fan of his style of play, and I'm glad they chose to keep him around, but this one caught me by surprise. And AZ says, how does the long-term extension for Johnson figure into the team's plans? Barring injury, what are the chances of seeing Salo or someone else called up from Bridgeport uh, called up before the new year? And and again, yeah, uh, I think that would be right around the time if Robin Salo continues down this path that he might be used. Or, uh, you know, Samuel Bullduck is probably uh, a little bit behind just because he missed training camp. He just got back into the Bridgeport lineup, played a couple of games. How does Johnson's long-term extension figure into the team's plans? He's he's more depth, you know. He's he's insurance in case uh, Matt Martin gets hurt or Cal Clutterbuck gets hurt, um, you know, on a, a cheap salary 
uh, salary cap charge. You know, maybe he's a, a tradable part. He certainly can be moved to the AHL uh, if necessary. Um, you know, do I see Ross Johnson being an 82-game-a-season player over the life of this contract? I, I, I don't. I think Ross Johnson, you know, he's developed a lot as an NHL player. Uh, he's come a long way. His skating has come a long way. You've heard me talk about he's he's got a nice shot, and he's got really soft hands around the crease for, for a guy that big, and he certainly protects his teammates very, very well. But uh, do, do I see, you know, Ross Johnson being an 82-game-a-year player? I, I personally don't see that. Um, the four years, yeah, I, I agree with, with everyone who says that they were a little surprised by the four years. Uh, again, it, it's not a, a ton of money, so maybe Ross and uh, uh, Lou kind of bargain there. You know, you get another year and you keep the cap charge down. But yeah, the, the four years uh, did did surprise me a little bit, uh, the, the length of that contract. I mean, now you've committed to Ross Johnson, really, for eight straight seasons. Uh, which is, you know, it's a lot. Um, even though the, the money is, is not by, uh, you know, for me, the 1.1 million a year. Yeah, that, that, that's great. But, you know, in, in terms of the NHL, he's not breaking the bank here. Um, and, and yeah, when, when to, to get to the point about being counterproductive to Barry's goal of rolling four lines. Yeah. When you, when you're, when Ross Johnson is only getting five minutes and 50 seconds in a game, you're not rolling four lines and uh, that, that gets away from the Islanders identity. So uh, a bit of a head scratcher. I know uh, Ross was going to speak to the media on Wednesday and uh, maybe Barry will explain that contract, but uh, I I understand why there are questions. Um, See, Jane asks, will the Islanders get any practice time at UBS arena before their first home game? And I know Barry Trotz, uh, talked about this. Uh, the, the players have been over there. They've seen uh, some of the progress on the construction. They've been through the dressing rooms and where everything's going to be. But yeah, they're, they're going to skate on their ice. Now, uh, the home opener is November 20th. Um, I believe there is a private concert scheduled for the arena on November 19th. Uh, but the way the Islanders schedule breaks. It looks like on November 18th, I would think they would be able to practice at the arena and get at least one day on the ice there. Uh, that that would be my presumption. And again, it's not like, you know, the, the players haven't seen that, but they, they do want to get over there. They want to shoot pucks off the boards, see what kind of life there is on the boards. They want to feel comfortable with where they're walking in the arena, they want to feel comfortable walking from their, their dressing room out to the ice. They, they just want to get the lay of the land so things are not, you know, shocking to them come November 20th. So certainly, yeah, I mean, I, uh, you know, sticklers for detail like Lou Lamarillo and, and Barry Trotz are not going to put a team on ice they've absolutely never skated uh, at before, you know, as far as a home arena is concerned. Um 
Will Forthman says, now that the banners are up at UBS Arena, will there be copies of the cup banners remaining at the Coliseum, like how the New York Nets banners stayed behind? And I'll be honest, I'm not 100% sure of that. I don't think the Islanders are going to produce replica banners. And and, and now, you know, the Coliseum is under different management now. It's not... Uh, the, the Islanders really have no ties to Nassau Coliseum other than it's their ancestral home. And I think that would be up to the new landlords as to whether they want to you know, replicate those banners. And, and to be honest, I, I don't have the answer on that. Um, and, and either way, neither way would surprise me. Um, you know, you do like to honor your past, but uh, the, the Nassau Coliseum owners uh, or leaseholders are under no obligation uh, to, to, to put up any new banners in, in their spot. Um, Brian G says, what are the Islanders' plans for the home opener? Will they have a bunch of former players there? And look, this is a Lou Lamarillo-run organization, so uh, you know information can be tight. I do not have the exact plans. I, I, I think they're still being... Worked on, I could almost guarantee a bunch of former players will be there. Um, and, and, you know, uh, maybe this is a, a good point for me to, to wish Mike Bossy and his family all the best. Uh, if you heard the sad news uh, uh, last week, uh, Mike Bossy revealed that he's battling lung cancer. He's stepping back from public life to, to fight the lung cancer. He asked for privacy, and uh, I, I know... Uh, having met Mike, you know, just what what, what an outstanding person he is. And uh, I, I wish him and his family uh, all the best and all uh, good health. And, uh, you know, hoping that uh, um, Mike Bossy is, uh, you know, beats us and, and is around for years and years to come. Uh, he won't be there for the home opener, obviously. But yeah, I, I suspect a bunch of Bossy's uh, former teammates will be there. I mean, they, they've done that, you know, not just the Islanders, but any team that opens up a new building. Yeah, I'm not talking about the Seattle Kraken, you know, obviously, but, uh, you know, the Montreal Canadiens, when they moved uh, from the Forum to the Bell Center, uh, the way they did that with the old players coming back uh, with the torches and everything, that, that was, you know, that was shed a tear type moments. And I'm sure the Islanders will come up with, with something very special for the home opener. Um, let's see, Michael asks, what on planet Earth is going to fix the power play? Uh, coaching hasn't fixed it. Personnel hasn't fixed it. It's been bad for a long time. Well, what can they do to get it consistently over 20%, which still isn't great? Um, all about taking more shots, really. And, and the other thing is, as you've noticed, when, when the Islanders' power play isn't good, uh, it's because they can't navigate the neutral zone and uh, their zone entries aren't clear and, and they spend too much time chasing the puck. Um you know, uh, not to sound like Butch Goring, maybe it's more about chip and chase uh, than trying to be pretty on the power place. You know, get it down low, go retrieve it, and then set up. And, and don't try and make the perfect pass at, at, at the blue line. Um, but yeah, it, it certainly has been a, a an issue. Uh, <laughs> different coaches have approached it. Um the Islanders have looked very bad on the power play at times this season, but there have been other power plays where 
they have moved the puck and and they have established zone time. It's just not enough. Um, let's see. LG Keo says, were there hard feelings between the team and Josh Bailey after he was left exposed in the expansion draft? Did that have anything to do with his slow start? And uh, how valued is he by the team? I, I think he's very, very valued, uh, especially by the coaching staff. Uh, you, you talk about intangibles, and I know you know people who watch hate this type of stuff because you can't quantify what Josh Bailey is doing good, and what you see a lot of times are some weak passes and uh, turnovers, and uh, maybe not getting into defensive position. But Barry Trotz swears by Josh Bailey's smarts and and what he calls these subtle plays, like the one that you know set up Matthew Barzell's goal the other night, where uh, creates a turnover um, and and the play's going the other way suddenly, and you know Matthew Barzell after scoring that highlight reel goal turns right to D- Josh Bailey and, and yells, "That's all on that. That's all you." Um, and he said that after the game as well. Um, so he's very valued by the team and his teammates. Um, as far as hard feelings, I, I got zero uh, indications there were any hard feelings uh, by Josh Bailey. He's not, he's not that kind of guy. He's a very matter-of-fact guy. And, and so is Lou Lamarillo. And, and Lou doesn't leave gray matter. Everything's in black and white. And, uh, you know, I'm sure it didn't shock Josh Bailey at all that he was left exposed. And, and I'm sure Lou Lamarillo 100% explained his, his thinking and his rationale. Um, you know, probably told Josh Bailey, we'd love We'd love for you to still be here, but we have to expose you, and it's because of uh, Josh Bailey's salary. They were, they were looking to shed salary. I, I mean, let's face it, the Islanders wanted either Jordan Eberle or Josh Bailey to, to be selected there. Um, but no, as far as hard feelings, that's business, and it had nothing to do with Josh Bailey's slow start. Um, Kurt Green says uh, Josh Bailey has three seasons left on his contract. 149 points from fourth all-time for the Islanders, 199 games from first all-time. Does he hit either mark? And uh, look, 149 points, uh, it's about 50 50 points per season, right? And uh, it's certainly doable, but in his last 82-game seasons, right, uh, 2018-19, Josh Bailey had 56 points. In 17-18, he had 71. 16-17, he had 56. Um, now, again, in 15-16, he played 81 games, only had 32 points. Um, but, you know, in his prime, he was getting to 50 points or more per season. Now, obviously, the production is going to dip a little bit uh, as he gets a little bit older. Um but I would think he's going to be right around 149 points uh, if he plays three full seasons. And uh, uh, let's see, 82 plus 82 plus 82, you know, that gives him some leeway to get those 199 games, um, you know, barring injury or so. So, yeah, both marks are, you know, I, I would think pretty doable for Josh Bailey. Um 
Let's see. Jason Weber says, with Leo Komarov assigned to Bridgeport, does he actually have to go or can he stay with the NHL Islanders, practice with them and still be the guy everyone is happy to have around? He just can't play in games. Um, Leo Komarov is not in with the Islanders. And I asked Barry Trotz about that. And my question was, did Leo Komarov report to Bridgeport? And Barry's response is, he's not here. And no, Leo Komarov was not with the Islanders to finish that trip. I I believe he uh, departed uh, from Chicago. Um, Now, he did not report immediately to Bridgeport. And he actually, you know, he could stay with the Islanders. Um, Well, he's assigned to Bridgeport. So, uh, no, he's... uh, you know, if he's going to practice anywhere, it's going to be with Bridgeport. Um, and I, I still haven't gotten a, a clear answer as to what Leo Komarov is doing. I know there have always been rumors. He's in the final season of a four-year, $12 million deal. There's always been rumors that he might go back and uh, play in the KHL. Um, we'll see where this is. You know, if if Leo is not reporting to Bridgeport long term, you know, do the Islanders consider unconditional waivers to buy him out? I, I don't think they want to get to that because I, I still think they see Leo Komarov as a very useful piece to this organization. Um, Dave Starr says inside baseball stuff. But I got to know, I feel like for the first 35 years of my life, sports writers referred to pending free agency and suddenly in the last couple of years, all I see is impending free agency. Am I making this up? What gives? And, you know, it was you, you got me thinking um, because I write impending free agent, right? And I, I, I agree with you. I mean, you see lists of pending free agents um, and now you see lists of impending free agents. And again, uh, I can't recall whether I used to write pending I, I, I feel like I've always sort of wrote impending, but I agree that pending free agent certainly used to be a thing. And uh, look, pending means awaiting an outcome, like a decision, uh, you know, a conclusion, uh, confirmation, something like that. Impending means imminent or about to happen. So I, I think impending is, is is the correct usage there compared to pending. Uh, but it, it, interesting question. I never thought of that before, but I, I think you're right that it's slowly transitioned to impending from pending. And uh, I know I write impending. Um, let's see. And we'll, we'll, we'll finish up here with Danny Phantom, who just says, Phil Kessel, possible? And let me just say, uh, uh, Phil Kessel, I did not notice him at all that game in Arizona. Um, And he's in the last season of an eight-year, $64 million deal. It would be difficult for the Islanders to squeeze an $8 million cap hit uh, as currently uh, constituted, Um, you know, as we get deeper into the season, say, you know, Arizona, you know, held on to 50% of that contract. Could you make the numbers work possibly? But I I don't necessarily see Phil Kessel, who still has good offensive talent and on a good team can be a contributing member, certainly when he's engaged fully. 
Um, I don't see him fitting in with the Islanders. I, I don't know that he plays enough defense to, to make Barry and Lou happy. And I, I think that, that, that cap hit, you know, the Islanders would look elsewhere. Um, so thank you for the questions and thank you to Hank Abadi of New York Arena Partners for discussing UBS Arena's impending opening. You see what I did there. And, uh, thank you to Chris Nietzsche for his fan perspective. And uh, please, for any and all Islanders content, go to newsday.com backslash aisles. And until next episode, happy hockey, everybody.